Hello, everybody, and welcome to Speaking of the Arts. I'm your host, Mike Epstein, and today we are so pleased to feature Gordon Hanks and Jazz SLC. Gordon co-created the concert series in Salt Lake City over 27 years ago, and I wanted to have him on the show to talk about his own unique background and what he has learned from producing the series for so long. That's really a rare thing in our industry to have the same person running the same series for almost 30 years. Gordon is extremely passionate about the music, and that clearly comes through in our interview. Here's a little bit more on his operation. Jazz Jazz SLC is a nonprofit concert series funded and produced by the GAM Foundation. That's G-A-M, GAM Foundation. And what began as a let's try producing one concert and see what happens has developed into a unique, nationally recognized, not-for-profit concert series. In the 27 years since the series' inception, Jazz SLC has featured world-class jazz musicians and proven the popularity of jazz in Salt Lake City. I really loved speaking with Gordon, and I hope you enjoy our conversation. Thanks for listening. So, Gordon, I want to personally thank you for being on Speaking of the Arts, the podcast series we produce for the arts community. I think that's really cool what you're doing, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, um, I'm also honored that I'm officially your first Zoom call. <laughs> How you've managed to negotiate a year and over a year and a half of a pandemic with no Zoom is beyond me. <laughs> uh, well, my wife sets it all up, and then I just join her. Ah, the master delegator. <laughs> yeah, I just show up and, uh, you know, yeah. we do FaceTime with our grandkids and that kind of stuff. But I don't think we've done any Zoom because. I'm retired and, you know, I don't know, no one bothers us. <laughs> Except for me, apparently. No, no, actually, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm going to tell you this in confidence. Okay, we'll edit it out then. But you can tell other people it's fine. Okay. You're one of the really good agents. Thank you. That's really you, nice of you. You are, you know, it's, it's really not hard to do. And so many of them make it hard to do. And this isn't hard. And the secret for me is my relationship with my agent and my artists. If I if I if everything with my artists and my agents are good, everything goes smoothly. Everything goes really easy. And there's there's no bumps in the road. You know, the artists get paid. My audience leaves happy. Everything's good. Thank you for saying that. Yeah, it's not hard. It's just some people don't get it. Well, and the feeling is mutual. I've really enjoyed working with you over the years and always from my artists, the most positive feedback, the experience that you and your staff provide for artists coming to perform at the series is just top notch. And, and um, it's always a real pleasure when we get to work together. So thanks yeah. for saying that. So I wanted well, to start just by asking you, what is your own background? How did you become, how did you even become interested in producing jazz concerts? This is really an interesting story. By profession, uh, I am or, and w- or was a pharmacist. And I own two pharmacies in a very affluent suburb of Salt Lake City called Holiday. And um, that's what I did to make a living. And I used to work 60 hours a week. And it was, that's what I did. And it was great. In the Around Christmas of 1994, a friend of mine and a neighbor of mine who were very close, we were talking and we're saying, gosh, don't we miss having jazz in Salt Lake? 
there there used to be some venues that brought you know national artists through you used to get to see Brubeck or Earl Garner or Shearing or you know there, that group always was coming through Salt Lake and it was in different kinds of venues we didn't have any jazz clubs but there were venues that they could do it and then the universities all of them were bringing in artists in the 90s uh, on a regular basis and so then it just stopped so we were talking one day and my friend said well why don't we do it so i'm looking at him his job is in mineral resourcing so he takes precious minerals from like Kennecott copper and takes their their bulk waste and gets the the um the the really quality minerals out of it and then sells them that was his job so that's what he does i'm a pharmacist i own two pharmacies i work 60 hours a week so we're both looking at each other said okay let's start a jazz series okay we have a mutual friend who one time toured a little bit with the osmonds and he was on the road with some other people and he kind of knew some people so he made a couple phone calls and uh, he suggested I call Lynn Skinner up at um, the Lionel Hampton Jazz Festival up in Moscow, Idaho, who had an existing series going. So I called Lynn and we talked and he gave me the name of a few artists. And I thought, okay, this will be easy. We'll just call them and bring them down and have them play. Well, then all of a sudden we realized we need a venue. Hadn't thought about that. <laughs> then we realized, well, how do we pay these guys? We don't have any money to start with. So how do we do this? So he and I both put in a bunch of our own funds to get this thing started. And we found that we could rent the grand ballroom at the city city center Sheridan downtown. And so we thought, okay, this is gonna be easy. We'll just rent this room and bring these artists in. Well, then we realized we had to bring in our own sound, our own lighting, our own stage, our own backdrop, all that stuff. So we figured out how to do that. And then we thought, well, okay, let's, we had no idea how much artists cost. I mean, we had no clue about anything. This is, uh, we were getting to book for 1995. So uh, we make a few phone calls, Lynn Skinner, suggest that I called Gene Harris who lived in Boise and I called the late dear Gene Harris and we talked and he said yeah I'll bring my quartet down and we'll we'll start the series wow. and we, talked, sure. we talked for like a half hour I never did ask him what his fee was I mean you know you're just dumb about this stuff so I tell Gene call me back he called me back and I answered the phone holiday pharmacy and there's this long pause like he's got the wrong number. <laughs> so the, all these interesting things. Oh, Gordon, I think you accidentally hit your mute there. See if you can unmute yourself. If you actually, if you just press space bar, you'll do it. Try pressing space. There you go. Am I okay? Good. Yep. For some reason the screen went blank. Okay, no so, so our, we thought, okay, we'll do this. So we started off with Gene Harrison. And then we brought, uh, we, we found through Lynn Skinner, I got to get my, we brought in uh, three solo pianos. We brought in um, Monty Alexander, Fred Hirsch, Kenny Barron on solo piano. This was all part of the inaugural season? This was our inaugural season. No kidding. So we, got, 
so we kind of got all that through Lynn Skinner and that kind of worked. And we thought, and we had, we'd put our own money in this and we thought this was pretty good. Now we were trying to figure out how do we get butts and seats? We never thought about this. So we did some advertising and we squeezed all of our friends to come to the concerts. And I think our first concert, we had like 300 people there. And then my, my friend Mike says, well, why don't we invite high school and college students to come for free just so we have butts and seats. So we put the word out and we, you know, first con first few concerts led four or 500 people, got through it. Uh, we had zero money left. We'd spent a lot of our money and we thought that was really fun. Let's do it again. <laughs> so we both put a bunch of more money in it and we went to our second year. And uh, I'm trying to look at our second year. Second well, let year. Just, let, me, let, me, let me interrupt you. So you might've told me this, but I had no idea Fred, who you, Fred Hirsch, who you know, of course, is one of my yeah. artists. I had no idea that he was part of your first season. If you told me that, I forgot, but that's incredible. No, I didn't. And, and it was interesting because uh, I kind of don't remember a lot about our first season. It was kind of a blur. Yeah. Um, but I do remember that my experiences with the artists were all really positive. I felt really good about what we were doing and they were all supportive of what we're doing. So we go to season two and we're thinking we're really smart now. So we get the idea that we're gonna bring some artists in with local rhythm sections. And I'm too dumb to know that's not a smart thing to do. So we brought in um, Jack Sheldon I brought in the Ray Brown Trio, Toots Thielman. We got George Shearing, I don't know how, with his quintet. Wow. Uh, Clark Terry, uh, Stanley Turrentine, Roy Hargrove. And those last three were with local rhythm sections. Clark Terry included? Clark Terry included. Wow. And so after, after uh, the concert with Clark, we were having dinner and he said to me, you wanna keep doing this series? And I said, yeah, I'd really like to. And he said, may I give you a suggestion? I said, sure. If you bring in artists like me and Stanley, bring our groups. He said, it's not a knock on the local guys. It's just that that's what you're supposed to do correctly. So all of a sudden it dawned on me. Yeah, if I'm gonna book people, I'm gonna book the Clark Terry Quintet. Right. Or, the, or, the, or the Stanley Turrentine Quartet. Right. So the, the light came on then. And about that time is when I completely took over booking all the artists. And um, so we're trying to figure out how to make money to keep this thing alive. So we go one more year and we're putting our own money in it again to make it solvent. And all of a sudden we realized we can apply for some grants. So we applied to the Salt Lake Arts Council, um, the Eccles Foundation, which is big in Salt Lake, and they gave, both gave us a little bit of money. And so we were sort of solvent through our third year. Get to our fourth year, and this lady who'd been coming to our concerts um, found my wife and said, uh, are you Gordon's wife? And she's like, yes, and can I please speak to him? Yeah, sure. So I go over and I introduce her and she says, hi, I'm my, my name is so-and-so and, -so and um, 
I'd like to support your foundation. I like what you're doing. It's not about you. It's about the artists. We like people who are doing it for the right reasons. And she handed me an envelope. And I'm thinking, okay, you know, I'm, well, I get home, I'll look at it. Well, I get home and she is the ex-wife of a very, very, very large multinational corporation with lots of money. So she gave me, gave me uh, first year, she gave me 500 shares of this company. So that enabled us to get to the point that wow. we had upfront money. So Mike and I didn't have to put our own money in to be up, up front. And our ticket sales started to get better, more and people coming and we started getting more recognizable names. And so it kind of grew and grew and grew. And uh, at year eight, Mike decided he didn't want to do it anymore. So it all became mine. But we figured out if we can hit break even every year, we're doing great. All we have to do is hit break even. And with those additional funds from this wonderful, we call her our jazz angel, and the money that my wife and I put in. And then as we build a season ticket base, we ask our season ticket donors for some extra donations. And then we came up with the brilliant idea to have a student outreach program where our season ticket holders could give us extra money. And then we would have students come as our guests free instead of a $10 um, ticket fee. So we would, we, we would select isolated or selective uh, high schools in the Salt Lake area that had good band programs to invite their 30 or 40 kids to each concert and we would change schools. We did that for a couple of years. Then it dawned on me, let's do this with rural schools. Right. The kids who never get to Salt Lake. Right. So we really grew that. And um, like the Sandoval concert that I just started off with, we had 150, uh, no, that's not correct. We had 50 students from two rural schools and we had another 150 students buy tickets at 10 bucks each. So we had 200 students at this concert, um, which we just take the main floor of the Capitol Theater and it's 910 seats or something. So we had 90% sellout. Great. But interesting with COVID, we had 20% no-shows because of COVID. Yeah. Uh, just yeah. because a lot of our season ticket holders weren't comfortable in That's still an amazing amount that came out from all the folks I've been talking to lately around the country. That's a lot more than a lot of people are experiencing. Well, we've got uh, we've got like 500 season ticket holders, and they they are the base of what keep us going because uh, we we charge them $300 a seat for for the season, and so we have people who buy two or four or six or eight seats, and these are I've got people who have been coming been been season ticket holders for 25 years. Wow. Wow. The hard thing is some of them starting to die off. <laughs> they get wow. old and die. But uh, no, we feel real good where we are. And if we can hit break even, and if my wife and I have to put some more money into it to keep it solvent, then we do it. But it's, um, I, I decided real quick, if I'm going to do this, I've got to do it for the right reasons. Number one reason, 
I love the art form. I want to support the art form. I have to have the ultimate respect for the artist and treat them as such. And I want every time we have a concert, my audience to leave happy. And the Sandoval concert was really scary for me. This is the first concert back at the Capitol Theater for anybody in 18 months. And uh, we, the, some of the theaters in Salt Lake now require vaccination uh, 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 proof to get in. We just required masks. Mm -hmm. And you know, you're getting nervous about people arguing and fighting, and, but nothing happened. Everyone came in with masks. Everyone came in, sat down, and was really happy. Everything was great. Yeah. So I had, we had 800 or eight, about 800 people there. Everyone left happy. Wow. Uh, and I told Sandoval after, thank you for being joyous, happy, and making people feel safe and respected again. So it turned out great. Wow. Wow. Well, I'm sure he was just so happy to have a place to perform. If you need to take that, that's fine. We can pause. Hi, uh, can you possibly call me back in about a half hour? Thank, can you call me back in a half hour? Thank you. Were they asking for the, oh, you're muted again. Just hit your space bar. Are we okay again? Were, yeah, I can hear you. Were they asking for the holiday pharmacy? No, I don't, I've been retired 12 years, so I don't get that anymore. Oh. Holy crap. Wait a minute. <laughs> Mr. Popular. Yeah. Hello. Hi, uh, I'm on a, a special call. Could you possibly call me back in 45 minutes? Thanks, bye. Anyway. Oh, yeah, no problem. So um, a couple of the things I wanted to ask you, and this, you know, you can answer it however you want, but just for our listeners, they should know that the series itself is approaching 30 years and that will take place. When is that exactly? We're in our, we're in our 26th season right now. Okay. Uh, actually our 27th, cause we had to cancel a season. So we're, th you know, three years away from 30 years. So I guess the question is what has changed since you began producing this almost 30 years ago and what's basically stayed the same? I learned a lot from those first three or four years. Uh, I think I learned to have more respect for the artists and to have more respect for, jazz is such a big tent. We have so many sounds coming out of that big tent. And I'd learned that every one of those sounds is to be respected. Everyone is a little different. And I learned real quick, um, you know, at first you start out with trio, 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 trio plus a horn player, one vocalist, solo piano. I mean, you don't, that's what you do because you don't know to try anything else. You're too afraid to. I've learned that to stretch, I've learned to be more open to many sounds. Uh, Pedrito Martinez, perfect example. Uh, I hadn't had a, a real, real Afro-Cuban Latin group for a few years. And it was a, such a huge success. We had people climbing up on stage dancing. Yeah. 
Now, the average age of my audience is 60, but we have a lot of students come. And he says, come up and dance. And all of a sudden, we've got a whole bunch of 20-year-old young ladies on stage dancing. It was, it was so refreshing and happy and joyful. Yeah. And, you know, if you, can, if you can have your people leave refreshed and happy, you've accomplished what you're trying to do. And that's all you want to do is give people some diversity and have them re leave happy yeah. and joyous. It's a testament to how much your patrons trust you over all this time that you can do something like that and take a chance. And lo and behold, they'll thank you for bringing the artist. You know, that's a really interesting point. Um, in the 250 plus concerts that, that I've done over the years, I have three that I definitely remember that were horrible, that were just awful. And you don't I mean, have to mention any names, but was it I, bad because of the, the quality of the music or? Yes, it was, well, uh, two of the three were bad because they were a group of quote, an all-star all groups who got together and they were, none of them were on the same page. Oh, and boy. It was just, yeah, it was just awful. Mm -hmm. And, um, uh, one was an artist that decided to bring a turntable artist with him, which I, I didn't book that, but that's what came. <laughs> and I didn't find out about it till like a week out. And so I couldn't, you know, anyway, people got up halfway through the show and left. Oh, that's the right. first time that's ever happened. And, um, we actually sent out an apology email to all our season ticket holders saying, this is what we booked, we apologize. And then I've just had a couple others that the artist didn't really care to be there. They was just flat, mm. you, you know how those are. Yeah. You just run into them. Um, but all in all, every concert that we have, I feel really good about. And uh, it's that point you made about my uh, the base of my art of my audience trusting me uh, is really true. Um, but two years ago, we had Veronica Swift and her name recognition at that time wasn't huge. And people said, well, yeah, if you trust her, we trust her. It was a great show. And everything about it was a positive. And so people would say to me after, thank you for bringing her. It's a new, it's a new talent a new exposure. It was great. Thank you. So I guess after 27 years, you develop some credibility. I, I would think so, for sure. Yeah. And uh, I, you know, I mean, you know, as well as I do, I pretty much stay down the middle. I don't stretch a lot. Uh, I think just because of the nature of our community and the nature of the age of our season ticket holders, I kind of have to stay down the middle, but I stretch and no one gets really very upset about it. You know, as long as the quality of the music, the one thing that the audiences feed off of is if the artists are having fun on stage and they feel joyful. If they, look, if they look like they're having fun, then everyone's having fun. Right. You know, if you're, if you're going through the motions and it's two 50-minute sets and the people feel that. Mm -hmm. So I, I kind of have to be cautious not to get caught up in that all-star group on tour. 
it's that's hard. That's so that good. that's a good lead into my next question. How do you determine who to book for this for the whole season? How do you think about that? Well, there's it's that's that's a really good question because it's for me it's really hard sometimes because over all these years, and I've had so many artists that I bring back every three or four years who are now dear friends, really close dear friends, and sometimes I have to say I can't do you this year. They understand, I understand. So there's this basic group of artists that always number one put butts in seats, easy to work with, give me great shows and everyone leaves happy. You know, what else could you ask for? Right. You know, those are all great things, but I can't do that all the time. So I have to, I have to look. And so I, I trust people like you. And when we talk about, well, what about doing this? That sounds really interesting. I think that will work for me. Um, there are just some there are just some artists. We've been talking about Emmett Cohen. Right. There's a there's an artist that I know will work tremendously. I mean, you just after you've done it so long, you just know that there are people who work that will work for my series. And uh, I think a lot of it, 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 it honestly, sometimes if I have a real hard question about an artist and the agent I'm not really comfortable with, it's corporate somewhere. Uh, I've got some friends uh, in the industry who I'll call and I'll say, tell me about what do you think about so-and-so and so-and-so. And And they'll always give me straight answers. Um, So I try to always have at least one vocalist. I try to get two, but sometimes it's just one. Uh, I always want to do something really happy, uplifting, fun, exciting, that's just so joyful that you can't not be happy. I always feel like I need to have young artists that are just breaking through. You know, a few years ago, that was Joey Alexander. There's always that that one out there that's so unusual and special you want to do. You always want to do one legend. Uh, you know, sometimes they're on the downside, but they're still brilliant and still great. And we, we need to honor them and give them exposure still. So it's kind of a crapshoot, just kind of what I'm comfortable with. I have no... No, no I was going to... I think you're being, you're being humble and modest. I was, I was, when you were describing that, I was, was going to ask you, because it's such a clear, you know, I want a couple, I want one or two vocalists, yeah. I want to get a legend, I want something that's joyful, I want somebody that's young. Did you always, from the get-go, kind of have that vision about for the year, series? About year four, I did. When I started doing it myself, I realized that I need a mix. Uh, you can't just have all trios, and I mean, that doesn't work. And I decided that I need to stretch myself. Story I've got, I just have to tell you. Please. When I was 16 years old, I was a sophomore in high school at a at a very poor high school. This is in Utah. Yep. Hit hit the space bar again. Okay. Economically and socially, it was. uh, I was raised by a single mom, so we we lived in not a real nice place. So I went to this high school. And they actually had a music appreciation class. I had no idea. I took it. 
The guy who taught it, it was just a recent graduate from a university. He wore a beret and he loved jazz. So when you're 16, you fall in love. First day of class, he says, I want everyone to sit down, shut up. I'm going to play you an album. And I want you to listen to it. It was Ahmed Jamal at the Pershing. Okay. That single thing changed my life forever. Wow. So when I was able to finally book Ahmad Jamal in like 2008. Wow. And I talked to other presenters and they said, he's difficult. He's hard. Uh, everything has to be perfect. I was scared to death. So I went out and greeted them at the airport. From the minute we met, we became lifelong friends. Wow. And we still talk all the time. How cool is that? And, and he gave me some, some of that good soulful advice about doing things correctly, honoring the artist, respecting the art form, and it, just do things the right way. You know, if they say they want this, in the green room, give them this. This stuff isn't hard. Just right. do it. But part of it is respect. And um, so uh, that gave me some insight in dealing with the legends. They're just people. They're no different than anyone else. And if, you know, just do things right. And they're always nice. Everyone's nice if you're nice to them. So this is really easy. <laughs> wow, yeah. what a beautiful story. I wonder if... Uh... Did you ever have a chance to look up that music teacher and tell him how full circle you came? <laughs> you know, I wasn't smart enough to do it till I was too old. Yeah. And he, he had disappeared somewhere. You know, I just completely lost track. Right. But that, that, single, that single event changed my life forever. That's amazing. I love that. Yeah, I've got, yeah, I can think of a couple of things in, um, when I was younger in school and grade school that really set me on the course for music. Well, one of them, I'll just real brief story. Um, I grew up in outside of DC in Maryland. And one of uh, the class trips was to go to the National Symphony at the Kennedy Center. Oh, and this, wow. I would have been in like sixth grade. And at that point, that was, I'm a drummer. And I just, I had started taking percussion lessons. But um, we went to that concert. And when, as soon as the uh, symphony started playing, it was just, it was a life-changing moment for me. It really was. And when I tell that story, it's funny because I always, there's always two things that stood out to me from that experience. One was how much it affected me in a, you know, in a beautiful way. I loved it. Yeah. I was like, you're, you know, you're getting goosebumps on your arms. And the other thing that stands out is in the, at the concert, looking at my classmates and realizing that most of them were not at all affected by it the way that I was. You know, I have a similar experience at <laughs> elementary school. We went to the Utah Symphony and it stunned me so much that there's that all those people could create that much beautiful music and it will all work together. It just was stunning. And I, I'm like you, I got goosebumps. Yeah. It was like, wow, this is unreal. How do, how do people do this? Yeah. You know, I had no background of any of this stuff and to see that happen, it's yeah. Yeah. Those things change you forever. They do. And kind of just to come full circle with you guys doing these student concerts, every time you do that, you're changing the life of somebody, whether it's just one out of 200 students that are in attendance, it's enough, you know, that you're really doing something life-changing for one of these students. A uh, quick story on that. We had a, a young man who was a guitarist and he was into rock and roll guitar. 
and he was at a local high school and he came to a concert and uh, it was Benny Green and Russell Malone, just the two of them. And he sat like on three rows back and watched Russell play. He decided he didn't want to do rock and roll. So he started studying guitar. He ended up becoming a luthier. Is that what they're called? Oh, the guys sure, who yeah. make guitars? Is that yeah. what yeah. Luthier? I think that's he's, exactly yeah. Yeah, he's up in Logan, Utah. He makes, uh, it's Thorell Guitars. And one of the guys who uses his guitars is Vinnie, or is, um, Frank Vignola. Oh, wow. Uses, and so this, this young man who makes these guitars that he sells worldwide got his inspiration from one concert. So cool, so, right? Yeah. Hopefully yeah. I changed a few lives. So cool. Well, let me, um, you've been really gracious with your time. Let me just ask you one more question before we wrap up. Uh, we talked about 30 years is coming up in three years. So where do you like to, where would you like to see the series in the next five to 10 years? What does that look like for you? You know, this is, that's a, that's a really interesting question because um, our organization, GAMS, the, our, our attorney needed to have a, establish a nonprofit and he couldn't think of a name. So it stood for Gordon and Mike. I was going to ask you what that stands for. <laughs> Gordon and Mike. Well, my, my, I have four daughters and my third daughter um, worked with me at the pharmacy and she started helping me handle a lot of these things because I'm trying to be a pharmacist, running two pharmacies, building a jazz series. So my daughter, Amanda, started helping me. So we changed it to Gordon, Amanda, and Mike. So that's what GAM stands for. Beautiful. So we talk about this all a lot. I'm going to be 78. I mean, I'm in great health. I love doing this. It's great fun. And we're trying to figure out if and when uh, I get to a point where I don't want to or I'm not able to do what happens to the series. And the hard part is you've got to find somebody who's number one willing to himself and another individual do all this for, for no money, you, if in fact you have to put money into it. Mm. Uh, it's like the, all the arts, ticket sales don't cover what you're doing. So you gotta find someone who wants to do it for those reasons. Someone who understands the art form, someone who will do it for all the right reasons of respecting the art form, respecting the artists. And when you present it, do everything correctly. Don't try to screw around with it, do it right. It's really hard. And so we have this ongoing conversation. If and when I stop, does the series stop? Mm. We, don't, we don't have an answer for that yet. Um, we don't know. Uh, I, I, I wished I could find someone who was li who like me, who's 20 years younger, who would want to come in and start doing what we do willing to put the money, time, and effort in and do it for the right reasons, not for your own ego. I never get on stage ever, ever. I just, that's not what I do. And so, you know, you keep a really low profile, but you try to do everything the right way. So, you know, I'm looking about booking next year. So, you know, and before long, Capitol Theater will send me dates for the next year. And this is how we kind of been going.
yeah. the Capitol Theater sends me dates and I say, well, I guess I better fill them. So there's not a very scientific way to, I don't have a fixed plan, <laughs> which I'm not happy about, but I'm not sure what to do about it. It's yeah, well, you know, I wish uh, I wish one of our listeners uh, was Warren Buffett out there in Utah and would just <laughs> happily um, endow the whole series, right? <laughs> I think it's I think for our community it's it's really really important. I mean, we're the only people really presenting jazz on a regular basis uh, in a beautiful thousand seat hall, and everything's done correctly. Um, you know this wonderful jazz angel of ours i never ask her ever she i just get the stock and the stock value goes up and we tend to have more money uh, i think if i were smart enough and brave enough i would go out and try to solicit more money from more foundations um, there's there's things out there i have a hard time really asking for money and we're in a comfortable spot right now. So that's something I don't do. But I think if someone wanted to come along in a few years and do this, I think they could find some additional funds to keep it going. I really do. There's, there's, there's a lot of money in Utah. I mean, there's a lot of really big money. It's just getting to person A who says, yes, I like what you're doing. Yes, I like the art form. Yes, I like you doing it for these reasons. So let's keep doing it. Yeah. Wait, hit space one more time. Hey, you there? Yep. Okay. Um, so, um, I'm you. One of the questions you ask is memorable concerts. And um, give us one before we have to wrap up. Okay, I'll give you one. Back in the late 90s when we were at the Sheridan City Center on a crappy stage with a ballroom setting. I had booked Chick Corea Spain. And I had no idea what Chick Corea Spain was. I sort of did. Well, so I greet him at the airport and all the guys are there and there's this lady with them. And I assume that she's in the band or a road manager or a friend or whatever. So we do sound check and I'm not there because I'm still at my pharmacy working. So I come down at 6.30, the concert starts at seven, concert starts, third song in, Chick's doing all this Spain music with all this percussion. This lady's a flamenco dancer. She comes on stage and doing flamenco dancing and they're all with all the rhythm and stuff. Everyone in the audience just about dropped over dead because wow. no one had a clue what this was. And it was so different than anything we'd ever seen or expected. Wow. And so from that day on, Chick and I became really good friends. <laughs> and past had, losing him's a huge loss. He was just here a year and a half ago. And so sad. But anyway, so we get surprises sometimes. That is so cool. Thanks for sharing that story. Well, I think this might be a good place to stop, Gordon. Um, I just want to thank you again for your time today and sharing these stories and the experience you've had leading this series. Um, it's been a real pleasure talking to you. Well, I love I love doing it. And again, Mike, you know, I wish I had more of you out there. Well, that's really <laughs> kind of you. 
it uh, it's you know how hard is it we call up and say how about this date this artist this amount and we're done you know this isn't hard so anyway thank you for being you you're great <laughs> thanks for and, saying that everyone who works with you like you well i'll say everyone who works with you sort of likes you i love you so <laughs> that makes it better <laughs> thanks so much Thank you.